So uh, Mike told us the story. We're going to talk about that this morning uh, in Matthew 14. Uh, I did the... There's actually, if you know the Matthew 14 story, it's also in Luke chapter 9, it's in John 6 and Mark chapter 6, all the same story. But then there's a feeding of the 4,000 in Matthew 15. I actually taught that one last service. So you're getting actually the right passage this morning. Um, 8.15, I taught the wrong passage. I mean, they're pretty much the same story, but anyway, no lightning struck me down. Good thing. Uh, so an old farmer decides he's going to go to church on a sunny morning, and the, the challenge that that morning was that it was, it was just a blizzard. And he decided to put on his boots and his winter gear, and he, he, he marched a long way to get to this small little church chapel in the country. As he got there, uh, he opened the doors and recognized that it was just he and the pastor. No one else had showed up that morning. And so the pastor looked at him and thought, you know, we could be in our warm homes with a fire and in the bed and eating a warm breakfast. You know, why don't, why don't we just do that? And the farmer says, well, I'm just a simple old farmer. And when I feed my animals and they all, I put out the feed and if only one shows up, I don't leave him to go hungry. And so convicted, the pastor realizes, okay, he's asking for me to teach. So the pastor does the whole service, two hours hymns, offering, does the whole bit. And so at the end, about, they're about to close up the church and walk out, and he says, well, how was that? How was that? Was that okay? And the, it's the simple farmer says, well, I'm a simple old farmer, and when I go out to feed all my animals, and one shows up, I sure as heck don't force feed it and expect it to eat like everybody else eats. So you feel like you can't get it right. Maybe like the pastor did, but maybe this morning you're like many other people that you ask yourself the question, what does God really want from me? I mean, I don't know if you've heard, as I have, many people talk about their faith, and if you were to sit in a room and ask them this question, what do you think God really wants from you? You hear a diversity of different answers. God wants my money. God wants my time. God wants me to be perfect. God wants me to be sin-free. And you start to just really have so many different things out there that it becomes overwhelming. It's really the question I want to ask this morning of you to think about is what really does God want from you? Now I love this, this passage and it's again, it's one of the only miracles that it shows up in all four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. There's also not only the feeding of the 5,000, but then there's another occurrence where Jesus feeds 4,000. So not only in all four Gospels of this one miracle, it seems like he's done this a couple times. There's a principle, though, no matter what text you read, I'm going to nestle in on Matthew 14, but really in all of them, there's an interesting principle. There's one that I want you to take away that you can do, and you have the choice this morning to decide that you can do. All the other three are something that's out of your hands, out of your control. And there are four observations I want to make this morning. So Matthew 14. Now, there's a couple of contextual things or things that you need to know that are going on. First of all, uh, Jesus is friends with John the Baptist, and John the Baptist loses his life. Um, not in a, an ordinary fashion. It was Herod who was having a party. 
and a woman dances for him, and he says, I'll give you anything you want, and her mother asks her to ask for the head of John the Baptist. And so Jesus hears the news of John being beheaded. Now, in this room, we could, let's just step back. We know that Jesus is fully God, but he's also fully man. And we understand that, maybe you don't understand, but Jesus has fully felt emotionally all the things that we feel. We often, I think, separate him out as being the son of God that was impervious to emotions we feel. And so I want you to think back, when has, have you felt the most grief in your life? Could have been the loss of a loved one or a friend. I've been in many hospital rooms where someone has passed and the grief that people feel. Our own family felt that same grief a few times. Uh, the quick loss of a loved one. I lost uh, one of my, a half-brother. Drunk, he was drunk driving. And I'll never forget the news of just that he's, Cody's gone. The, the grief we feel. You know what I'm talking about, right? Where you hear that news and it's overwhelming. Jesus is in this state. Emotionally hearing the news of a friend, John the Baptist. And I think that's important for us to note. Sometimes I think we can read through the stories of Jesus and think, well, he was the son of God. He's impervious to everything, you know, and this life hits him and he's, ah, whatever. Jesus is grieving over this. He's feeling the loss of someone. Uh, next, though, is Jesus is also tired and trying to rest. Jesus has been on a roll with miracles and healings. And when you read the, the context of, of how long he's been teaching and preaching and healing, uh, it's quite a long time, and he's just got hordes of people following him, not giving him a break. And then last but not least, he's, he's teaching in the northern region of Galilee, a big body of fresh water in Israel, the only freshwater body in the Middle East, and he's, he's nestled up in the north region. And really, he's just in a boat. He goes over to another shoreline and another shoreline. But people know where he's going. They just follow his boat. And so they just walk along the shore and keep following him. That leaves us right here in Matthew chapter 14, a little bit of what's happening. Now, again, I want you to understand he's physically tired because he keeps doing this. He's emotionally spent. And I, I would wager to say that many of us have been in that position where we're physically tired and emotionally spent. And the last thing we want to talk about is us doing ministry. What do I mean by ministry this morning? Ministry simply is when God uses you. It's called ministry. It's when God uh, uses you to do his work, do his bidding through you for other people. It's ministry. It's called ministry. It's not a Christian term necessarily. It's just one you hear throughout the scriptures. Called to the ministry and the work of the service for the Lord. So you don't have to be a hired staff member or a priest or a pastor. All of us have ministry. It's all throughout your Bible. And so Jesus is tired. And the last thing I'm sure some of us would want in this state is to say, let's get to work and do ministry. So let's look at Matthew chapter 14. This is roughly, probably about the location where he probably would have taught. Now this is between Mount, um, this is Mount Tiberias. Um, uh, no, this is not Mount Tiberias. It's um, Arbel, Mount Arbel. Down here is Tiberias, the city. And they say this is probably where the Sermon on the Mount also happened. And so he's kind of between uh, Tiberias and Capernaum. If you don't know that, they're just two basic cities. 
Not very far. Again, he's in the northern region, Jewish side of Sea of Galilee. There was also a Gentile side, and they actually took sides, uh, believe it or not. Jesus spent uh, time on both sides. So Matthew 14 says, When Jesus heard what had happened to John the Baptist, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. I mean, isn't that pretty natural? We wouldn't expect anything different. That when you feel grief, when you're tired, what's the first thing you want to do? Is withdraw. I need to, I need to get fueled up. I need, I need to get away from expending myself and giving out more. It says, but hearing of this, the crowds followed him. They're kind of got, the, you know, the, the rumor is Jesus is moving, he's getting back in his boat. Rumor is he's going to head over somewhere by Capernaum or Tiberias. Let's just walk there and follow him. We can see his boat out there. Let's just follow. So crowds followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Now, as Mike said, there's four accounts in the Gospels of each one of this 5,000. There was another time of 4,000. But they only counted men. It's very interesting. And so some commentaries will argue there's roughly between maybe 15 or 20,000. It could have been double the 10,000. It's a lot of people. I mean, how many of you felt overwhelmed because you're at a family reunion and it's like too many people and I'm done, I want out of here. Imagine 10,000, 15,000, 20,000, all for you. I want something for you, from you. So when Jesus landed, he sees this, he says he has compassion, and we've used this word before. It's in a lot of the text describing how Jesus feels about the broken, and if you read in like Matthew 15, it'll talk about some of the condition of these people that are following him. They're hurt, they're crippled, they're lame, they're blind, they're ailing with diseases, they're broken. I mean, it's one thing to say that you have you know, 10,000 really healthy, non-needy people, right, following you. It's another thing to say that I have, you have people that need something from you, like healing and brokenness. Again, the setting had to be amazing. It had to be overwhelming. And it says that Jesus had compassion, though, and it's not just pity. I think often you, you've seen homeless people maybe in, in our city or in a metropolitan area, and you walk past them and there's this sense of, I feel pity for them. Oh, it's such a bummer for them. No, it says that Jesus had compassion, and what that means is it actually physically means you, you feel something in your stomach. You, you, it, you feel almost like a stomachache. Oh, it's overwhelming. It's like hearing the news of someone being lost, whether it's however horrific it might have been, but you just you feel compassion for them, their family, their friends. This is what Jesus feels. The first point. Ministry moments happen most outside of our own plans. Ministry moments that happen uh, most often are going to happen outside of your plan. This is really important for us to hear this morning because often in church culture, what we do is we create these spaces and saying, well, if you just go maybe Saturday morning to the men's garage, that's where ministry is going to happen. Or if, if you go Wednesday night to Wednesday night connect, that's where ministry is going to happen. Or if you go to this small group, that's when ministry is going to happen. Or Sunday morning. And we compartmentalize these spaces where we're dressed up and we're ready and we're fueled up. 
But friends, can I tell you, most often, the ministry that God uses you is way outside of those. It's after you've expended yourself, right? For hours, maybe, in working or serving in the church, or, or doing something for under the name of God, and all of a sudden you're walking to your car, and there is someone in need. And the first thing you want to say is, oh man, not now. I have somewhere to go, or I've already put my time in. And I'm not shaming any of you, because I felt these feelings too. It's like, not another one. And what's amazing is God most often uses us in these spaces. We call them divine appointments. They're ones that you've not set up and scheduled in your planner to go, God, this week I love you, and I've set up five five opportunities for you to show up and give me some stuff to do. No, it's going to be in the middle of the night. It's going to be early in the morning. It's going to be a friend that needs a meal. It's going to be way outside of your plan. This is exactly what's happened here. If it were up to the disciples, they would have said, oh, no, 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 he's off duty right now. He's, he's not on, right? He's no longer on. People have asked me, uh, Troy, when do you take time off? I said, well, I try, but usually that's where God sets up the ministry moment, right? It's when you're off or you think you're off. You see, as Christ followers, we're never off. We're always on. First principle this morning around what I want to talk to you about and simplify that really you don't have control of this. You just need to be ready when God shows up and says, here is a ministry I want you to lean into. It's going to be when you don't have enough time, enough money, enough energy. And he's going to say, here you are. In verse 15, it says, as the evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place, Jesus, and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. I mean, it's reasonable, right? Jesus, this this ministry event has kind of reached its end. We don't have the resources. We've not planned a meal. Some say that he's been doing this for days. And so they, they don't have a meal plan in this ministry moment. And so Jesus says this, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. Had to be an awkward thing for them to hear. Don't send them away. Why don't you solve this problem? I think so many times in the faith, one of the things that I find in church culture is that we sit back and wait for God to do it all. And I'm not saying that God doesn't do it all. God does, but God asks that he has men and women who are fully devoted to him that he uses for the work of the ministry. And so he's waiting for us to do something. This is why, friends, I don't believe a church should stand dormant, waiting for God all of a sudden to lay, all of a sudden we wait and floats down this, this amazing plan for us to do. He trusts in the leadership. He trusts in the hearts, in the prayers, in the direction of those who are, are submitted to him. And then you trust what God is doing in you, and you begin to move. It says... They don't need to go away. You you give them something to eat. You give them something to eat. Verse 17, he says, We only have here five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. I mean, isn't that usually what happens? So ministry moment unfolds, 
And we find ourselves asking all the responsible questions. Well, wait, there's not enough budget for that. Well, we've not planned the leadership direction for this, so that we should put that aside. And it, and it never fits all of the things that we've set up to, to be so specific to God planning it out exactly. And if you read your Bible from cover to cover, you find very rarely is it man planning anything that God's going to do on his own. It's often way outside of what our plans are. That's the second point. Ministry to others is often well beyond our abilities, our plans, our ideas. Not only is it outside of the context of, of the time we've set aside or ministry kind of plans we've put together, but it's also way outside of what we can do. Imagine that. You feed them. There's 5,000 or 10,000 or 20,000 people on this mountainside. Do, do you think for a moment they're thinking, oh, Jesus is really tired and grieved. He's having some sort of post-traumatic stress syndrome. He's, he's crazy now. And so what do they find? They find that, as Mike said and Nolan said, they find five loaves and two fish. And there's probably a whole storyline here, right? Because what was that boy doing? People are hungry. Did people eat their food maybe the last couple days? And all of a sudden this boy said, I'm just going to show up for the one day event and I'm just going to bring my lunch. And then what kind of lunch is that? It's kind of interesting, right? Seems like maybe a little bit more for some other people. Don't know. We don't know the backstory. But we can only wonder that God's setting up a very interesting circumstance for these disciples to begin to go around and to look for food. And they find this boy. In verse 18, it says, Jesus says, bring them here to me. Could you imagine in the midst of the disciples walking through the crowd, trying to figure out what food is available, finding one boy with five loaves and two fish? Again, I can test out of 10,000 to 20,000, only finding that to eat. It says they had to be pretty hungry. It said they probably expended all their resources and they find one boy. And it says that they, he, they brought those five loaves and two fish, and you can look at the different Gospels. It's a little same story, but a little bit some added to it. It says, And he directed the people to sit down on the grass, and taking the five loaves and two fish, he looked up to heaven, and he gave thanks and broke the loaves. And he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples began to give those to the people. Uh, one of the texts, I think it's in Mark, just says he, he gave thanks to the Father. It's so interesting, that, that interaction. Don't you think in some sense that we just bring it to Jesus, then he just does the miracle, but yet Jesus still honors his Father and glorifies and says, look what they've brought, and, and he offers it up, almost modeling for us how we should think of what's brought to us, of what's given to us. God, thank you. Jesus models again this symbol of thanks. So what's the third principle this morning? Ministry to others means bringing only what you have. Now, I'm going to camp here for a moment because this is really the whole focus of what I want you to think about this morning. This is where church finds itself paralyzed because I'll ask people often, what do you think God is expecting from you? What do you think he's asking of you? And here's some. Some will say, well, I think God is asking me to morally clean up before I get involved with him. I heard many people say that. I've, I've had a, a few guys tell me, I, I can't walk into that building because the roof might collapse because 
I need to get some things right. And so in their mind, the, 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 the idea is bringing to God is a perfect life, a, a clean life. And friends, can I just admit to you that I don't have that? And can I maybe inform you, you don't either. No matter how hard you might try outside these doors to make an effort to clean up for God, that is not what he's saying for you to do. Because when you do that, when you operate in works mode that I can clean up my life morally for God, you don't need Jesus then. Jesus came and died and rose again to defeat the power of sin in our lives, to pay the price and the penalty for sin in our lives. And so, what makes a difference between many other followers of different religions and faith is we can't work ourselves there. Every other faith religion has a a foundation of works. Get it right. Work hard. Friends, when you try to think that God wants from you to clean up your life so that you can present yourself to him, you've missed the idea of what it means to have a savior, to have Jesus. Some may take the, the standpoint of, no, I, it's, it's not cleaning up my life, but I have, to, I have to get some more knowledge. I need to know the Bible better. I need to know more about God. I need to know more theology because I see some of the people around here and they just have all the answers. And I, I'm not that spiritual and I don't have that. And so I think God's expecting me to have the right information. Friends, nowhere in our Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, is there a command and call that you bring to God your knowledge about him. The scriptures say, because I'm in love with him, I pursue to know him by the story he wrote for us in the Bible. I want to know the character and nature of God and what he calls me to be and how he calls me to live. But God's not asking for my smarts. In fact, when you read the Bible, it's amazing because there's some great stories of people that simply don't know anything about him. The blind man who gets healed and the the Pharisees are grilling him, asking him theological questions. Who was this man? And and, and is he the Christ? And he screams out, finally says, I don't know. I don't know who he is. I just know I was blind and now I see. Couldn't be more simple than that. What's great this morning is God's not asking you for how much you know about him. In fact, I think we're going to be held accountable for what we do know and don't apply. I think many of you know what it means, God says forgive, always, but still haven't figured out how to apply it. I think many of you know what it means to, God hates pride, but still haven't figured out how to humble yourself before God and man. You see, there's plenty of room for us. In fact, if, if truth be told, I've told seminary students this before, hey, be cautious about how much you know because the more you know, the more you can be held accountable to, to put into your life. You might be better off just nestling in one verse for the rest of your life and just apply that one. Some want to clean up for God. Some think that it's, it's about knowing knowledge about. Some are waiting for all of the right things to work. I don't have enough time. I'm going to wait till my time frees up. You see, because I'm going to work really hard so that I have a lot of time to give to God later on. We're going to wait until we hit a couple new jobs or I get a promotion where I'm making more money 
and more finance so then I can give more to God. I'm going to wait till I finish and get this craft or ability to a point where I can then bring that to God. You see, you're in this waiting mode of you're not enough yet, and so you want to wait till you have enough, and then you can give out of having. Completely goes contrary to Scripture also. Scripture talks about a widow who has zero. She has a mite, less than a penny. And God says she came and her gift was greater than all that gave that day. And I'm sure they had huge gifts because she gave all from what she had. You see this morning, the one principle that you're responsible for is this one. Out of the four, ministry to others that God is asking for means bringing only what you have this morning. That's it. You may not have much in comparison to many people in this room. That's what he's asking for. You may not have much energy, but that's what he's asking for. You may not have many abilities, but that is what he is asking for. His last point comes out of this last text. Mother Teresa says it this way, it's not how much we give, but how much love we put into the giving. And you need to know that when you come to God and bring what you have, He is measuring your heart. And if there's a sense of obligation, if there's a sense of of spiritual duty, like uh, if you don't do that, you feel shame and guilt. And Scripture says that shame and guilt should be done away. Once we understand what Christ did for us, we're free. And there shouldn't be shame and guilt. And what we, (laughs) there I said should. And we, we, we get to embrace this love relationship with the Father that's free of guilt and shame. And so Jesus continues and says, they all ate and were satisfied. They all ate. I just want to stop here for a moment. So many times I think we wait for this massive miracle in the moment. And, and sometimes I find we pray for this miracle to just unfold right here before us. And, you know, we couldn't pay the bill and all of a sudden, boom, our checkbook changes and, and we, we can then. You know, it's, it's these instantaneous miracles. And I've seen very few of those. I think this miracle would have been interesting. Could you imagine when, you know, you're part of the crowd and you're looking way up there. What's Jesus doing? I think they talked about feeding us. I didn't see that in the schedule and you know they're probably looking around because they couldn't like walk along the shore and stop at Culver's and meet him at the at the, the Sermon on the Mount but could you imagine then they're seeing him break bread and thank give thanks and then this this was a miracle that started to slowly happen he took the five loaves and all of a sudden a hundred people got fed don't you think the surrounding and then the hundred would go whoa that, that's interesting five loaves two fish hundred wait All the bean counters are probably figuring out, that doesn't work. The math doesn't work, right? And then they're full. 500, whoa. 1,000. 5,000. 10,000. Could you imagine? This is one of those miracles that just started to build momentum, and people started going, he's still feeding people. Would have been an overwhelming moment. Not only that, then to have leftovers it says that they, look, it says they had 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those here, about 5,000 men besides women and children. 10,000 people just got fed with five loaves and two fish. You saw this miracle just unfold. 
All because a boy brought what he had. He just brought what he had. The last point this morning is when we bring what we have, others are satisfied. You love that word they use in the text, satisfied? Uh, if you look it up in the story in the, all four accounts, it says the people were full. I can't eat anymore. Five loaves, two fish. Didn't fit the ministry moment, schedule time. Hey, at, at this hour on Sunday morning, Jesus is going to do this great miracle. It didn't, it didn't fit even the possibility of what was possible. We couldn't have planned to feed five, 10,000, 20,000 people with five loaves and two fish. Other people were satisfied all because a boy brought what he had. This morning, you have cards in front of you and the kids have uh, these coloring sheets and they're to write on there, you know, draw something that's of value. And adults, I just want you to do this right now. Write on the card, what do you have? It may be a gift. It may be resources and finance. It may be time. Just quickly, just for a couple minutes, just write what you have. Just in your own. You don't have to like seek counsel from your family or your, your spouse. Just write what you have. Just quickly, what comes to your mind what you have? And if you have a blank, you dressed yourself this morning so you have clothes. I know that. Right? You drove probably here. You have a vehicle. I mean, this could get overwhelming, this list, but just write what you have. You don't have to write your name on it. I will not collect these and call you and say, hey, you said you had a really nice SUV. I'll take that. <laughs> Kids that have baskets, would you go around and collect coloring pages and these from the adults? Would you just collect them? All throughout the audience, would you just collect them? Adults, pass them to a kid with a basket. Kids with baskets, you're gonna have to spread yourselves out and just collect them all, would you? Could you imagine the moment when Jesus says, you feed them, what do you have? What are we doing right now? Look at what's happening right now. We're putting in a basket what you've quickly thought you have. Kids are collecting these. Kids keep collecting them. Stand in front of an adult if they've got a blank card. Just stare at them <laughs> and just say you have something. No, don't do that. You might get in trouble. Kids, when you've collected cards, parents, if you have a card, hold it up. They want to collect them from you. There you go. See those kids? Collect those. The worship band's going to come up while we're doing this. They're going to get us. They're going to get ready. Kids are collecting all these. Good job. Kids, when you've collected all the cards in your area, just come up here with your basket and set them right here on stage. When you're ready, kids, come on up and bring your baskets on stage. Getting them, kids? Whoa, that kid got a $10 bill. I don't know how he did that. 
Just set them right on here. Just set them right along here. We just, yeah, right there. Just set them. Thank you. Thank you. Look at this. I don't even have to read what's in these baskets, do I? Oh, we got a couple more, don't we? Good job, buddy. Yeah, get all those people, because, yeah, you got to get their stuff, for sure. <laughs> even waiting and watching this unfold makes me think about what it would have felt like to wait. They're, they're seeing how much food we have. So bring those up here. Just set them over here, would you? That's good. If someone missed, then they'll have to do confession. All right, over here. <laughs> I'm just joking. I'm just joking. On this side, guys. Put them over here on this side, would you? Thank you. I mean, we could spend time this morning reading all of what's in these. Friends, you want to know what the local church looks like? That. Do you want to know why the local church doesn't work in some places? Because there's no baskets. There's, they're empty. Our church is not made up of a pastor or one or two leaders or three leaders. It is, is the scripture called a priesthood of believers that bring what they have. And as Frank or Francis of Assisi says, it is in giving that we receive. When we begin to bring what we have, God uses that in powerful ways. Can I, can I challenge you this morning, push you a little bit? All of us have something to bring. Whether you're young or old, whether you're rich or poor, no matter where you came from, educated, not educated, whatever it is that you have or don't have in your mind, God has given you something to bring. And I imagine Jesus this morning, if he were standing up here and trying to do an impossible miracle that nobody could do except him, he would be asking you the question, what do you have? I'll work, I'll work with that. What, what do you have? I'll work with that. You see how important it is that we understand this morning what you bring is what God uses. What you bring is what God uses. What do you have this morning? As we go to the cross, we might be reminded that Jesus Christ gave it all. He gave it all. Our model is that we're to give all we have. He may not take it from you, but at some point in your life, you're going to have to recognize, Mike said it today, all I have is God has given to me. My family, my resources, my abilities, and God like putting in a basket, I say, here, this is what I have. It's flawed, it's broken, it's not complete, it's not perfect, but this is what I have. Friends, you have that same opportunity. God in heaven, we pray this morning for our time of communion that we would just rejoice in the idea and the concept that God, you don't expect us to be perfect, but to bring all of ourselves our heart, our soul, our minds, our abilities, our resources, our families, our friends, our time, whatever we have, God, to bring to you. And you 
make good on your promise that you will use us and you will bless us. God, thank you for allowing us to experience the gift of your son. You gave it all. In Jesus' name, amen.